We turn to Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, rejoicing in the power of the gospel. Philippians 1, beginning at verse 12, and we read in Jesus' name. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the power of the gospel of Jesus, the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we rejoice, O oh God, that we can embrace that news today. And, and once we have embraced that good news, we rejoice that that good news can be shared, proclaimed, and lives can be changed. So, Father, I pray that you would open your word to us this morning. Father, guide us into your truth. We believe that your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Peter Dyson, in his book, The Priority of Knowing God, tells a story about a man from India by the name of Ramad. He was a member of a gang of robbers, and they were robbing a house one day, and he came across a little black book, very thin pages, perfect for making cigarettes. And so that's what he did. Each evening, he tore a page out of that book, rolled it in with some tobacco in it, and had a smoke. But he noticed that the words on that page were words written in his language, and so before he rolled a page up for a cigarette, he started reading those words. Guess what happened? It wasn't too long after he started reading the words on those pages that he bowed his knees before the Lord, asked Jesus to forgive him, and became a true believer in Christ. He confessed what he had done, ended up in jail, and while he was there in prison, he led many of his fellow prisoners to Jesus. I think you probably know what that little book was, don't you? He had found a Bible with that thin India pages. And as he read the Word of God, God did something wonderful in his life. His life was gloriously transformed. Apostle Paul knew there was life-changing power in the gospel because he had experienced that in his own life. On that road to Damascus, remember, he was on his way to gather believers, to bring them back to Jerusalem, to imprison them, and he met Jesus on that road. 
He experienced the power of the cross that we sang about. What Christ had done for him there on that cross. And he became the greatest missionary the world had ever seen. Changed from a blasphemer and a persecutor into a missionary. The power of the cross, the power of God's word changed him. And from that day on, the one thing that brought him the greatest joy was to see that the gospel of Christ was spreading and many more were coming to know Christ as Savior. There are two things about the power of the gospel that we can rejoice in. First of all, the gospel is powerful in any place. Any place on the face of this earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. We know that Paul wanted, his desire was to get to Rome, to the city of Rome, to preach the gospel there. We read from Romans chapter 1 this morning how he said that was his desire and and he had been prevented from doing that thus far. But as he writes now in the book of Philippians, his desire to get to Rome finally fulfilled. And yet it was fulfilled in a way that Paul had probably not expected. He was planning on going to Rome just as he had gone to other cities as a missionary, probably going to the synagogues first and then beyond there. But he did not end up in Rome as a missionary. He ended up in Rome as a prisoner. Probably not what he was expecting. So with Paul in prison, I would assume that some of the enemies of the gospel were thinking, finally, This guy is silenced. Finally, we won't hear any more from him. And they probably thought they had won a great victory, but Paul was was not going to be silenced. In verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brethren, he's writing from that Romans prison situation. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What may have appeared to be a a defeat actually turned out to be a great victory because the Word of God cannot be stopped. People have tried to destroy the Word of God, tried to snuff it out. God's Word cannot be stopped. And I rejoice in that. No dictator, no Country, no one can stop that. And I love what Paul says to Timothy as he encourages him with this truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer, even to imprisonment as a criminal, But then he has this phrase, but the word of God is not imprisoned. I might be in jail. I might be in prison. There might be a chain on me. But there will never be a chain on the word of God. It cannot be stopped. That was clearly evident in Paul's imprisonment. Look at verse 13. He says, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known. Throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. This Praetorian Guard, from what I could gather, 
was a 10,000-member imperial guard that was established by the Roman Emperor Augustus. And according to Acts chapter 28, one of these guards was chained to Paul 24 hours a day. Now, can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul? I would call that a captive audience, wouldn't you? Pun intended, right? And we're told that, at least Warren Wiersbe says this, he was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. The shifts changed every six hours, which meant that Paul could witness to at least four men each day. Do you think he witnessed to these men? (laughs) I don't think there's any question. You wonder what it was like for these guys to come in and say, okay, it's your turn now. Uh, you got to hear about Jesus now. I listened to him for six hours. Now it's your turn. But you know what? Over time, as God's Word was shared with these men who were chained to Him, I can't help believe that some of them came to Jesus, hearing over and over again uh, the Gospel. And so instead of giving in to self-pity that he was in prison, Paul saw his imprisonment as an opportunity to share the gospel. And that's why he asked a number of the churches to pray for him. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. (laughs) I'm representing Jesus in prison, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. What a prayer request. Instead of saying to the Ephesians, pray that I'll get out of here, he says, pray that God will give me the words to share. I'm an ambassador here. I'm a representing Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, we see this again. Devote yourselves to prayer, verse 2. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So notice his request. Clarity and boldness. That's what we ought to pray for, right? God, give me those open doors. Give me those opportunities to share the gospel. Help me to make it clear. And help me to be bold. Pray that for us, right? For one another. That God would would do that. Paul knew he needed God's help. He knew he needed the prayers of God's people to be a witness in prison. And I would suggest to you that God answered that prayer in a fascinating way. Jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 22. Notice Paul's ministry in prison, how it had an impact On Caesar's household, look at verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those 
of Caesar's household. Saints in Caesar's household. Now that must have included, I would assume, the Praetorian Guard that was mentioned in verse 13. There were probably some of these then that were converted under Paul's ministry, chained to him for all those hours. It may also refer to those in the government of Rome, close contact with Caesar's household, these these people. And I just would ask you to consider this. Could it also be that there were some even from Caesar's family? Could, Could it be that some of them even were brought to Jesus as a result of Paul's imprisonment there? I don't know that. But wouldn't it be great one day in heaven you find out that some of uh, Caesar's children or something came to the Lord through Paul's ministry there? We don't know exactly what that means, but the impact of his ministry there was significant. God answered the prayers that he requested, help me to be clear and help me to be bold. Luke gives us some information in the book of Acts of what it was like for Paul in Rome. Although he was guarded by that imperial guard, he was given a certain amount of of freedom. There were visitors that were allowed to come and visit him. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 says he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, so he must have been under guard there for a while, and was welcoming All who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So Paul wasn't able to to go anywhere else, but God sent people to him. God sent people to him. Isn't that amazing how God continued to open doors for this man? As he prayed, God, that that God would open those doors. And and God continued to do that. And he was sharing then the gospel. Teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Reminds me of John Bunyan. John MacArthur says, John Bunyan's preaching was so popular and powerful and so unacceptable to the leaders of the 17th century Church of England, he was jailed in order to silence him. While he was in jail, he refused to be silenced because he started preaching in the jail courtyard. Large audience of prisoners, and there were people from the town of Bedford that came to the prison every day to hear him preach. So they said, we've got to do something else. So they put him in the deep cell deep within the prison. And from that prison cell, he then wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you have maybe read that book. That book has been used by God all over the world to proclaim the gospel and bring people to Jesus. What a picture of how the Word of God cannot be chained. It cannot be stopped. We see that in Paul's life. We see that in John Bunyan's life. Like Joseph, in the land of Egypt, Paul had a prison ministry, didn't he? 
Proclaiming the gospel. He did that in, in, in Philippi, in the Philippian jail, where the jailer was saved. And now in Rome, he's doing the same thing. Lives being changed. Now, I'm assuming you haven't been in prison before or in jail. I have a few times. Bible studies with prisoners. Um, have you ever felt like your circumstances are like a prison? Been in a situation where you said, why in the world, Lord, did you send me here? Why am I in this situation where I wish I could be out of here? I wish I could be free from whatever that is. Could that be your mission field? Could that be your place where God has put you that you might clearly and boldly proclaim the good news. I remember a man from my home congregation that had been in the hospital on several occasions for surgery. And he prayed when he went in, God help that hospital room to be my mission field. And every time he was in the hospital, he had an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus. And some of his roommates were saved. Wow. God put him there. That was his mission field. It felt like a prison. But he said, Lord, give me words. Give me an opportunity to share That's how Paul viewed his time in prison. That was his mission field then. He went to Rome really as a missionary, even though he was going to prison, right? Because that's his heart cry. So the gospel is powerful in any place. And that includes where you are. On the job. In the neighborhood. Among your family. Wherever God has placed you. That's your mission field. You need to pray, God, help me to make it clear. Help me to be bold, proclaiming the truth of your word. Second thing then we notice, the gospel is powerful not only in any place, but through any person. You can imagine how Paul's imprisonment could have put a damper upon the efforts of believers in Rome to share the gospel. I can just picture some of them saying, I had better be quiet Or I'm going to end up in prison. I'm going to end up where Paul is. You think there was that temptation? I don't want to be in jail after all. John MacArthur says, Hostility to this new sect of Judaism, as it was commonly considered through the Roman Empire, was growing. Not only were Jewish leaders intensifying their opposition and persecution, but pagans also began to see Christianity as a threat both to their religion and to their livelihood. And so you can understand why there could be some fear in the hearts of the believers at Rome. Bold witnesses generally are not appreciated. Have you discovered that? (laughs) If you are bold for Jesus, if you're willing to proclaim the truth of His Word, some people are not going to appreciate that. Obviously, Paul experienced that, and I would assume that other believers in Rome experienced that. But if you look at verse 14, you can see how many of the believers in Rome were given courage to be bold. And Paul tells us why, verse 14. He says, most 
Notice that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. They saw, didn't they? They saw what God did in Paul's life. They saw the the boldness he had in proclaiming the gospel while he was in prison. And it encouraged them to say, you know what? If God did that for Paul, can he not do that for me? Can we not say the same? If God did that for him, can he not do that for us? Can he not give us that boldness to proclaim his word? I remember in a different millennium when I was going to college. Literally, it was a different millennium. And you kind of got to know who the Christians were. We had some Bible studies together and we're in some classes together. And I discovered something interesting. If one of us was willing to stand and, and, and share something about the gospel or something from scripture or, or whatever, pretty soon there was another one Christian who stood up. And then uh, another one that stood up. And I discovered that it was such an encouragement when you saw God speaking through one of your fellow Christians, it gave you the courage to stand up and say something to him. One of those was Lyndon Corn, and we went to college together. And I'll tell you what, when, Paul, when they saw what God was doing in Paul's life, these Roman believers, they were given courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now, there were two groups of people amongst those in Rome who were given that boldness. Some proclaimed Christ with what I would call pure motives. And notice how Paul describes them. He says, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. And so these brothers in Christ knew that God had sent Paul to Rome for the furtherance of their kingdom, and they joined with him. They were one with him. They realized that they were on the same team. They had the same goal of seeing souls saved. That must have been an encouragement to the apostle, that there were people with him that were involved in proclaiming the gospel. And it's a wonderful thing. I think back of when I was growing up and in our community, there were probably about five or six evangelical churches in our town. Our church, and there was a Covenant church, and a Baptist church, and a Pentecostal church, and a Charismatic church. But they all preached Jesus, and we did things together. We had evangelistic crusades that came into the community. And on one time, there was a number of people that came to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, the pastors of those congregations, they were rejoicing in what God did. It's, it's a wonderful thing when you, you see that kind of cooperation. But then there were those in Rome whom Paul said proclaimed Christ With impure motives. Notice how he describes it. Verse 15, he says that they proclaim Christ. In other words, they they weren't false teachers. But he says they preach from envy and strife. Verse 17, he says they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition 
rather than from pure motives. And do you know why they were doing that? Paul says in verse 17, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Isn't that interesting? They were proclaiming the truth. They were preaching Christ. But their motive was to cause distress for Paul while he's in prison. That's discouraging, isn't it? Homer Kent says that they preach Christ and that Paul found no fault with the content of their message shows that their problem was not primarily doctrinal but personal. They were not unbelievers or perverters of Christian truth. They were self-seeking opportunists, promoting themselves at Paul's expense. Perhaps they had enjoyed some prominence in the church before he arrived. (laughs) But then Paul shows up, and people want to hear what he has to say, and these guys are going to put off to the side. There seems to be some envy there, some strife there. And so, while Paul's in prison, these guys are proclaiming the gospel, and they think that Paul's going to be bothered by that. That they're now getting some attention, as if that bothered him. did bother him a bit, as we'll see in a minute. So, to add to the pain of being in prison, here were these preachers... They were glad that Paul was there, and they hoped that they could cause him some more distress. What a sad testimony to their self-centeredness. Now, if you think that this was just a problem that existed in the first century, let me read to you what John Claypool writes. He said, I can still recall going to state and national conventions in our denomination and coming home feeling drained and unclean because most of the conversation in the hotel rooms and the halls was characterized either by envy of those who were doing well or scarcely concealed delight for those who were doing poorly. He said, I felt dirty, unclean. That was the conversation. Those who were doing well, there was envy of of other pastors whose whose ministries seemed to be blessed by God in special ways. And then hearing of someone who uh, they were having problems, almost, almost happy about it. What does that say about the heart of man? Even as believers, we have an old sinful nature that can crop up in in ugly ways sometimes. Even in ministry. That's what Paul experienced. These men preaching Christ out of envy and strife, hoping to cause him more distress while he's in prison. And yet notice how he responded to that, verse 18. He says, what then? What's the result? What's my response to this? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, 
And in this, I rejoice. What a, an amazing response. As long as Jesus is preached, Paul says that's the main thing. Now that does not excuse the, 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 the motives and attitudes of, of these men who are trying to cause trouble for Paul. God will deal with them. But Paul's point is, is if Jesus is preached, if Christ is proclaimed, that's what matters most. And in this he said, in this I rejoice. One author says, God's word is always powerful. No matter what the motives of the one who proclaims it. And he gives the illustration of Jonah. We studied the book of Jonah not too long ago. What was his motive? He didn't want Nineveh to be spared. Yet he proclaimed the word of God with a bad attitude. God still worked. Why? Through the power of his word. This author goes on to say, Even a preacher or teacher who is envious, jealous, and selfish can be used by God when his message is true to the word. God always honors his word, and his word always bears fruit. And he quotes from Isaiah 55, My word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. As the 19th century Scottish minister John Eady wisely commented, the virtue lies in the gospel, not the gospeler, in the exposition and not in the expounder. That's where the power lies. It does not lie in any man, any preacher. It lies in the power of God's Word. And in that, we can rejoice. Good to know that no matter who proclaims the Word, it has the power to change lives in a marvelous way. Let me give you an illustration. Many years ago, something unusual happened in a Moscow theater. There was a man who was supposed to uh, quote from uh, the, the uh, a Sermon on the Mount. The play was a sacrilegious play. Uh, it was called Christ in a Tuxedo. And so the actor was supposed to read then two lines from the Sermon on the Mount Then he's supposed to remove his gown and cry out, give me my tuxedo and a top hat. Okay, now mind you, this was a sacrilegious play in Moscow. So it gets to that point, and he begins to read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he started to tremble. And he kept reading. And people were stomping their feet and coughing and like, you know, put an end to this. Finally, recalling a verse he learned in childhood in the Russian Orthodox Church, he cried out in that play in front of all those people, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He got saved He came to Jesus in a sacrilegious play. How? 
power of the Word of God. Started reading it, and he trembled, cried out to Jesus, and he was saved. I'm so thankful that there is power in the Word of God because there's nothing that I can do to change anyone's heart. There have been times I wish I could grab people by the lapels and shake the gospel into them. Don't you? Have you had that type experience? Not how it works. But God is able. His Word is powerful in any place through any person. And when God's Word does its work to bring salvation to those who don't know Him, we have reason to rejoice. That's how Paul ends this section. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. The Gospel is shared. And in this, in this, I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice today. In the power of the gospel, and the power of the blood of Jesus, the power of the word of God, to change hearts that have been hardened, hearts that have been disobedient, hearts that have turned away from you. Lord, there is power in your word. And help us, Lord, to share it clearly and boldly, wherever you have placed us, so that others may come to a living faith, a living relationship in you. Lord, we plant and we water, but you are the one that causes the seed to grow. Lord, would you do that as we share with others in those doors that you open for us, the powerful gospel of Jesus. We pray in his name and for his sake.